helpful, isn't it? Just getting a, uh, another translation. That's not a paraphrase, that is a translation. Um, we do grow very familiar with scriptures, and sometimes uh, it's just very helpful to hear it with that perspective. And I think it's, that's beautifully written, actually. That's very helpful. So thank you very much, Val, for bringing that in. I did say to Val, you've got to be careful about making good suggestions to me, because I tend to just go, yep, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. Go, let's go for it. So, the Gospel of John, and we are going to journey through it uh, in uh, 13 to 17 weeks, it sounds like. <laughs> but even if it's 13, it's a better argument, actually. Uh, but you've got to read with me then, because we've got fewer weeks. You've definitely got to read with me. And it's really just to make sure you, we do get the whole Gospel message. So let's turn to our passage. Unless a person communicates to us with speech and gestures and facial expressions, we can't really get to know them, can we? God, too, was a mystery until he broke his silence. He spoke once and creation sprang to life. He spoke again, says John, and this time the word took on flesh and lived amongst us for a time. Now, Matthew, uh, sorry, I meant to do this as well, aren't I? Oh, no, I'm not. I meant to do that. <clears throat> now, the, the, the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Gospels that are commonly known as the Synoptics, tend to focus on events in Jesus' life, uh, whereas John seems to assume, in some sense, a sense of knowledge of these things and focuses much more on what it really means and therefore the real identity of Jesus. Jesus, who he sees not just as a good man or a prophet or a teacher, but as the Messiah, the Christ of God. And personally, out of all the Gospels, I find John's Gospel and its contemplative approach a very helpful and captivating Gospel. It's a Gospel that opens with this prologue which we've just heard, just 18 verses. And somehow in 18 verses, John tries to capture in just human language, in mere words, the wonder and the glory of the whole gospel. It is a literary work of art. It's an amazing piece of writing as John wrestles with the limitations of our human language to describe what he has seen, what has been revealed to him in Jesus. And he's writing his gospel because he feels he's so you know, full of it that he feels compelled to witness to it. Right at the end of his gospel, towards the end, he writes, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's main reason for writing the whole gospel right, is evangelistic. And I think it continues to be a very important text for many on their journeys of faith and their continuing journey of faith once they've come to Christ. In fact, if you look around at Anglican churches, you'll often find churches called St. John the Evangelist. There's actually one in Farncombe, just up the road from where I live. For John's gospel opens, as it were, John is struggling to put into words what he has seen. 
Um, so the, the gospel opens with these like, majestic opening bars of a great symphony. As he tries to capture in words who Jesus is. And in those verses he sets a scene for all that will follow in the gospel. Every, all, everything that will follow is almost captured in a nutshell in these first 18 verses. He summarises the gospel in a wonderful way. But I think he's also trying to encourage us and almost bait us to read on. He's saying this is so big, this is such good news. Look, look, you've got to read the rest of it. In the prologue, John makes the statement that is so significant that his readers really just must go on in their reading. For he claims that Jesus is the Christ, the word of God incarnate. The only one who can be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now quite often when people think of John's Gospel, you'll hear people refer to John's Gospel as the Gospel of the Word becoming flesh because of these opening verses. But it's worth just pointing out at the start that there are far more uh, important themes, as it were, that run right through the Gospel. And those are light and life, salvation and witness. John's reason for writing is that the word of God made flesh in Christ has become the light of salvation for all peoples. And with such a claim, with such an understanding of the identity of Jesus, within the first chapter of John's gospel, you'll find seven titles for Jesus. And we're just going to look at three of those this morning as a way of structuring what I'm going to say. But Jesus... John's introducing these titles for Jesus as ways we can look at Jesus. Jesus is so big. You know, it's, we almost need to look at him in little pieces to start to recognise the God who is present in flesh before us. And the titles we have of Jesus in the Gospel help us understand that, help us relate to, you know, we are little people, and yet we can reflect for a while on God as light, or God as the Word. Or Jesus is the, the Lamb of God, but trying to sometimes capture the whole thing. The first three that appear in our reading are these three. First of all, the Word, which you would have heard clearly. The second is the Light, and the third is the Sun. If you want some homework later on, you can read the rest of chapter 1 and look for the other names of God, names for Jesus within it. So let us turn to each of those three and just briefly... Have a look. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was with God in the beginning. Two simple opening sentences that say so much. Much as our words reveal to others our hearts and minds, so Jesus Christ, as God's Word, reveals God's heart and mind to us. In John 14 and verse 9, Jesus says, Anybody who has seen me has seen the Father. Words are composed of letters. Jesus is described in the book of Revelation, also written by John, as being both the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. And that implies that Jesus is the first and the last of all that God has to say to reveal himself to us 
And the writer to the Hebrew also confirms this and tells us that Jesus is, in fact, God's last word to mankind, the climax, as it were, of divine revelation. Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by the Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So if we think about Jesus as the word of God, I just want to break that into three ways of looking at that. First of all, Jesus as the eternal word of God. He existed in the beginning, not because he had a beginning as a creature, as it were, but because he is eternally God and he was with God before the creation of the universe. John 8 and verse 58, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. But Jesus is also the creative word of God, for the reading says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And there's certainly a parallel in here between John's opening words and the book of Genesis, between the new creation and the old. Genesis records that God spoke the universe into being through his creative word. The first words of God recorded in the Bible are in verse 3 of Genesis, where God says, let there be light, and there was light. Or as the psalmist puts it in Psalm 33, for he spoke, and it came to be, he commanded, and it stood firm. But the Apostle Paul now tells us that God created all things through Christ Jesus. And that means Jesus cannot be created, a created being himself, but eternally God. Colossians 1 and verse 16, For by him, Jesus that is, all things were created, things in heaven and earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So we have the eternal word of God, the creative word of God, but then we have the third, which is the incarnate word of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from a father full of grace and truth. Jesus was not a phantom or a spirit when he ministered on earth, nor was his body a mere illusion. John and the other disciples each had a personal experience that convinced them of the reality of Jesus' body. And even though John in his gospel emphasizes the deity of Christ, he makes it absolutely clear that the Son of God came in the flesh and was subject to the sinless infirmities of human nature. In his Gospel, he often points out that Jesus was at times weary, thirsty, he groaned with him, he wept, and on the cross he suffered, he died, flesh and blood. 
And even after his resurrection, he proved to Thomas and the other disciples he still had a real body, though now glorified. Jesus, the word of God incarnate, took on himself a sinless human nature and identifies with us in every aspect of life from birth to death. The word is not an abstract philosophical concept, but a real person who could be seen, touched and heard. For this reason, Christianity is all about Christ. For Christ is all about God. Jesus Christ is the eternal word, the creative word, and I think most importantly for us in a way, the incarnate word of God. A word that brings light and life, overcoming death and darkness. We read in verse 4, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Just as in the first, as the first creation begins with those words, let there be light, so the new creation begins with the entrance of the light of Jesus into the heart of believers. Light and darkness are quite common themes in John's Gospel. God is light, while Satan represents the powers of darkness. And John says people love either light or darkness, and this light, this, this Love is revealed in their actions. John 3 and verse 19. This is the verdict, writes John. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Again, later on in John's Gospel, those who believe on Christ are, however, called children of the light. The coming of Jesus Christ into the world was the dawning of a new age for sinful humanity, but not all would welcome the light. The coming of a true light also brought conflict as the powers of darkness opposed it. A literal translation of verse 5 reads, and the light keeps on shining in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it or comprehended it. And throughout the Gospel of John, we will see people's attitudes being revealed, particularly in, verse, in chapters 7 to 12. There's a record of a growing opposition to Jesus that finally leads to the crucifixion. Often when Jesus tried to teach a spiritual truth, his listeners only managed to interpret it in material or physical ways. The light was not always able to penetrate the darkness of every heart and mind. And John the Baptist also saw this within his ministry, which was received with mixed, in mixed ways. Verse 6 of our reading, There came a man who was sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Jesus is the true light. The light of God himself. The original of which every other light is a copy. But the Jews were content with their copies. 
They had Moses, they had the law, they had the temple, and they had their sacrifices. And they did not comprehend that the purpose of those lights was to point people to the true light. And we need to be mindful as well when we can also find sometimes our faith more attached to our religious traditions and forms than to the person of Christ, who should always stand absolutely at the centre. We can be so shackled by our religious rites and forms that we miss the spiritual truth. It's a problem in Jesus' day. It's a problem in our day too. Jesus came to the world that he had created, even to his own people, Israel, but they did not recognise him. They didn't know who he was, understand him, and did not receive him. Though they saw his works and heard his words, though they observed his perfect life, many sadly remained blind to the truth he represents. And yet John goes on in verse 12 to say, yet, yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. This contrast of, of blindness and sight. These two verses give us the marvellous promise at the heart of the gospel that anybody who receives Jesus as the Christ, receives him for who he is, will be born again and become part of God's family. The Apostle John has more to say about this new birth in chapter 3, but he points out here clearly that it is a spiritual rebirth from God that he is talking about, not a physical birth depending on human nature or lineage. The word of God for salvation has been spoken in Christ now for over 2,000 years. And that word that brought this light into the world continues to be a light that continues to shine right up to the present day. It is a light that we can choose to walk by, by faith, and experience that rebirth and becoming children of God. The word of God is the light of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, a light of salvation for all, for Jesus is the Son of the Father. Verse 15 of our reading, John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And from the fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace is God's favour and kindness bestowed on those who do not deserve it and cannot earn it. If God dealt with us according, only according to truth, none of us could stand. But he deals with us on the basis of grace and truth. Grace without truth would be deceitful. Truth without grace would be condemning. Jesus Christ in his life, in his death and resurrection, met all the demands of the law. 
and is therefore now free to share the fullness of that grace with all who call on his name. The famous verses from John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only Son, but whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, John's not suggesting there was no grace under the law of Moses, because there was. Each sacrifice, in a way, was an expression of God's grace. But in Jesus Christ, grace and truth reach their fullness. And this fullness of grace is made available to us. As Christians, we are saved by grace. And we also live by grace, day by day by day. Ephesians 2 and verse 8, It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And it's not by works, so none can boast. John sows the seed of understanding in these opening verses to his gospel. Of an understanding of a whole new way of relating to God was breaking into the world. A new order that only the incarnate Son reveals to us the last verse verse 18 no one has ever seen god but god the one and only who is at the father's side and has made him known as to his essence god is invisible we can only see god may be revealed in nature for his creation or for his mighty works in history but we cannot see god himself yet jesus christ reveals god to us Paul writes in Colossians 1 and verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the express image of his person. And that word translated made known gives us the English word exegesis, which means to explain, to unfold, to show, to reveal, to help understanding. Jesus Christ reveals God to us and interprets him for us. John's message is that we simply cannot understand God apart from knowing his son. So the bottom line is this. John wishes his readers to see Jesus clearly for who he is. John wants his readers to to recognise the divinity and the humanity of Jesus, not one or other, but both. His role, both therefore as Saviour and Lord. Now I've spoken briefly this morning just of those three titles that John's got to start with about Jesus. And I'll say these all provide ways of looking at Jesus. Jesus as the Word of God, spoken into human flesh, the incarnation of the Son, Jesus as the light of revelation to all people, of God's revelation. Jesus as the redeeming son, who is both saviour and lord. This is the Jesus that John wants his readers to go ahead to read about more. This is the Jesus that John wants his readers to meet, to greet, and to know for themselves. This is the Jesus that John wants his readers to be inspired about so that they might witness 
to him too. We all need to know more about Jesus. But John tries to paint an opening to his gospel of not just this man, but a man, but of God incarnate. We all need to know more about Jesus. And it's my prayer, certainly as we go through the next few weeks, however many they are, uh, and as we read this gospel together, we will do just that together as well. Amen.